0: What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Bronche. I am Julissa. What's good,
1: everybody? This is Skittles.
0: And this week, we got somebody particularly special. Magical, I would even say. <laughs> he, You can see him in Puffs off-Broadway, and he's been in Locked Up Bitches with us. So for those of you guys who've seen him and remember the officer who was Big Papa, we have Alex Haynes this week. Alex, who the fuck are you?
2: i am alex haynes uh long form alexander kenneth thomas haynes if, mm. you, wow. if you really want to go there <laughs> um i was born in new york and i lived here till i was six then we moved to iowa city then i moved to kansas city and now i'm back in new york uh so I w- i'm a manhattan boy wow. who got raised in the midwest um I am biracial. Uh I'm a black man who looks white. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes mistaken for Puerto Rican or Jewish, depending on I, um, I definitely thought I, you were when I met yeah, you. Yeah. I have, even I lie. have little <laughs> old ladies come up to me and they start speaking Spanish. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> I have to let you down. I know you're looking for somebody who, who can speak the language, but it's not me. Um, and I'm a soon yes. I, I to be dad.
0: Congrats again on that. From zaddy to daddy, From yeah. zaddy to Daddy. <laughs> That's right.
2: In nine months flat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm also happily married. So, you know, nobody. No need you to can't holla him. at him. Yeah. When he gives his
0: Instagram handle later, it's not for you to shoot in his DM. All right. right. I'm here protecting his wife and his child. Yes. Stay away.
2: <laughs> all, all nasty comments got to be public on the picture. On the itself. picture, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's the only rule. And um, you know, I'm I'm a human being out here out yeah. here living, and yeah. I'm, and I'm I'm a man in his thirties in 2018. Whatever Word. that means. Word. Wow. And it's so
0: interesting. I actually did not know about that about you that you grew up in the Midwest. Tell me a little bit about that. What was that like?
2: Uh, so both my parents are uh, they were from Kansas, and so I had both sets of grandparents mm-hmm. who lived there. So from an early age, I was taking planes for the holidays from New York City when we lived uh, on Fifth Avenue between 107 and 108, 1255 Fifth Avenue. Um, hey. I'm not there anymore. So yeah, sorry so sorry right that out. you gave that. <laughs> I'm not living that kind of life. Um, <laughs> Word. And so I I knew what Kansas was, and my, uh, and I knew like what Connecticut and New Jersey was, but when my parents told me we were moving to Iowa City, which Iowa. Uh, I was like, where the fuck is that? Um and uh so my mom got a got a job at the University of Iowa mm-hmm. Medical Center there and so we moved there and I li- I basically had first grade through uh 5th grade in Iowa City and that's where the University of Iowa is so it's like a small college town um and if you went to like a regular state school or anywhere kind of in a nice small college town you have an idea of what Iowa City is like mm-hmm. And it was a lot different, it was a lot wider. I remember going there, and that was the first, Iowa City was the first time I ever thought about the fact that my parents were different colors. Mm. And uh. funnily enough, it was the only Asian kid in my class, and my mom had come to just sort of view the kindergarten class, or the first grade class, to make sure it was cool. She was very much like, I need to see what's going on here, make sure this is right for my son. And, uh, and he was like, why is your mom a different color than you? Hmm. And I was like, I, I don't know. That's my mom. Like,
3: right. I never thought about
2: it that way. And that's where, so that was the beginning of me even questioning what my racial identity was. And I was in, uh, I, I think we called it like multi-ethnic club or something a lot, <laughs> diversity club, something like that. Oh. And our, we had a really progressive teacher, at uh, pr- principal, excuse me, at the time. And so it was me, the two Other black kids, um, Viola and Camille, and then like the one Latina and, (coughs) um, maybe a couple of other people. I know uh, there was a girl who was deaf and so she, um, she came and actually I should say he, because that, uh, person, um, is trans (laughs) and is now living as who they are as a man. Um, but at the time I knew, I knew them, uh, differently. Anyway, um, and so that was, it was really surprising to have, even though we were the only black kids and you couldn't tell that I was black unless I told you to to have that kind of uh, support and education from a white woman in in uh, in the middle of the country was pretty cool. And then we went to, eventually I moved to Overland Park, Kansas, which is where basically I was 15 minutes away from my dad's parents where he grew up. And we were 45 minutes from my mom's family and basically they were like we're in the midwest we might as well get to where we can see our folks and have our kids have a relationship with their grandparents and so that's where i went from basically sixth grade through to when i graduated college and wow. and moved here so yeah i was like
1: wow so wow. You, went, you, you left went new through, york yeah Man. like
2: yeah i i left <laughs> i was i was always when i left new york i was like I'm a New Yorker. You better watch out. I yes. learned how to ride my bike in New York City. You Ivy City kids, you, you Overland Park kids, you don't know shit. And then I and then I came back to New York City as an adult. I moved here in 2010, and I was like,
3: oh shit,
2: I'm from Kansas. Like I'm a Kansas. Wow. I, I became a suburban yeah. kid. I had I've gotten so used to driving everywhere with 45 mile per hour speed limits and Target and <laughs> and you know Kentucky Hut and all this stuff. And so I had to like check myself and be like, okay, yeah, I was born here, but I, the majority of my formative years were spent somewhere else. And I have to be okay with that and recognize that I'm getting lost a little bit and I don't (laughs) quite know exactly where I'm going and that's okay. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was a, it was a transition, but that was, that's, that's where I've been at.
0: Nice. Wow. And so just out of my curiosity, now that you're about to be a dad, like, do you think, like, do you ever consider leaving New York and raising your kid outside of New York?
3: Ooh.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> so I'm like the, the audience. Questions. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Where is it going to go? <laughs> you know, it, I think it was yes and no. I mean, always my wife and I – my wife's name is Jill. Um, always Jill and I are – have, you know, been thinking about what what would we do? Can we have a, have a kid in, in the city? And one of the things that we – that I didn't realize was one of the blocks to her envisioning being a mom here is that my, the first six years of my entire life were right here in this city. I live I live on the uh, basically Morningside Heights, and so I live only about 1.3 miles from my first home ever. So I can go mm. to my original stomping ground anytime I want. Yeah. And for her, she grew up in Kansas, and her entire childhood was spent there. So. When I'm thinking about a kid and what it's like to have a child, I'm like, I was in a stroller in New York City. I was in my parents' hands on the subway and riding taxis at the the first, my first word was taxi. And for her, she's like used to, (laughs) she's used to backyards and all this stuff that we just, we don't have here in the city. Uh, And so it's always been a conversation. But where both of our careers are now, she works for YPC, which is the Young People's Chorus of New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to them. They're a really amazing uh, nonprofit chorus for youth of, um, of all income levels and of all e- uh, ethnicities here in the city um, from eight to 18. And um, they, uh, so she, so she's happy with, she's happy with her job and she, and she finally got to a point where she could envision what it would be like to be a mom here. Mm. And there was this sort of disconnect that she was like, well, you know, well, if we don't make enough money to have this, this, and this, how are we going to do this? And, and then she f- sort of came around to being able to envision it. And I was like, oh yeah, this is a new idea to you. For me, this, yeah. this is just the first six years of my life. Yeah, And so now we're we're in a position where our careers are are on an upward trend uh i'm an actor i don't i think i don't know if i've said that or not yet um and so our hope is that we can remain here i mean i think like every new yorker it's like yeah we want to have a place in the city and then we'll we'll get some place upstate and right and we'll go there and depending on how much time we need to spend wherever we need to spend it we'll spend it there um but we're not going anywhere right now
0: yeah yeah and honestly, like I think it's so interesting because like I we grew I born and raised in New York, have not mm-hmm. lived anywhere else but the Bronx in my whole life. And even within New York City, there's so many pockets. like you know, like the people who grew up in Brooklyn and Park Slope, who I went to in LaGuardia, very different New Yorkers mm-hmm. than me and my crew in the South Bronx. So I think there's so much opportunity, and I think it's lovely. I love when people do raise their kids in the city because there is that New York attitude. I do, when I travel, say, Yeah, I'm from New York. Fuck out of here. Or <laughs> when I catch an attitude, I'm like, Well, I'm from the South Bronx, so this is controlled right mm-hmm. now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. I love, I have so much pride in that. And I feel like anybody who can own a little New York City pride, even if you guys do go to the Midwest at some point, like, give that kid some New York City. i mean
2: because i i think you you look at the ease and the safety of of a midwest childhood and it was definitely you know i walked home from school and new york kids do the same do the same thing you know you can spot a new york city kid a mile away because they're it's like a 10 year old with the eyes of a tiger yeah like (laughs) literally everything julissa just said but from the mouth of a 10 year old right Um, (laughs) but uh There's, there's no making up for the diversity and the fact that we're all on top of each other and you learn to respect other human beings and, and, and have other human beings who look and sound nothing like you and accept them as just part of life in a way that kids from the Midwest don't get. And I know that from my experience in life, uh, and often being the only black person in my classroom and half the kids in the class don't even know that I am.
3: Mm.
0: Uh,
2: and so to imagine, especially having a child that's going to be essentially one quarter black and like they you know, what does that even mean?
0: Wow. Yeah. when you said that, I was like, damn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah.
2: I've got my fingers crossed that there's like jeans are going to swim <laughs> around and they're going to come out real dark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but the, the truth is they're going to come out like a white ghost. Yeah. And they're, but they're going to be a, an African American ghost. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's uh that's i think maybe the scariest thing about fatherhood to me is how do i connect my child to their roots Mm. when my mother the black my black parent is no longer living and when they are that much more removed from their african-american heritage and certainly will not be treated by the world uh like a person of color and so how do you treat how do you give that child that power with while you know, in a way that is effective to them, while also they're not doing anything that feels forced or fake or like performing uh, their ethnicity, right? Or performing their heritage. So that's that's on my mind.
1: For mm. sure.
0: That's some real shit. Thank you for sharing that.
2: Yeah. So
0: Alex, let's jump. right into- <laughs> <laughs> Segue. <Segway. laughs>
1: So, um, what is, uh, what is your favorite brunch plate?
2: Ooh, man. You know, I've, I've found very much that I have to oscillate between salty and sweet. So it kind of depends. Did I have a really good dessert the night before? Because then I'm probably going to go for a more savory brunch. If Mm. I didn't, then I might need, uh, a a sweet thing. And also I think it depends on where we're at. Do you specialize in pancakes? Then i maybe have to get the pancakes, Mm -hmm. but I will say that on a, Typically at brunch time, you're gonna find me ordering a Belgian waffle with bacon and probably some scrambled eggs. Yes, mm, I
3: yes. love
1: a
0: waffle. Yes.
1: And so with that, what are you gonna? What are we gonna be drinking? What is your favorite brunch
2: booze? Um, well, it's got to be something that's gonna go with my brunch coffee because I got <laughs> to have my coffee. I cannot operate without it. I also don't believe in eating a waffle without coffee. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I would say, I would say, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty pretty basic. A mimosa, a yeah, mimosa. A, a classic mimosa. It's a
0: classic. <laughs> Honestly, it works every time. Usually, it takes about six or seven for me to hit my. That's it. No more for Julissa. But mm. mimosas work, man. I love them. Mm. Awesome. So, what was it like when you would go out to eat as a kid?
2: Uh, so we used to go when I was real little. When we were still living in the city, my parents used to go to El Perador. My mom worked at NYU. Um, medical center she was a pathologist and when I was first born she was starting her residency so she was basically beginning her career as a doctor and we, we so we spent a lot of time in the uh, NYU area like the 30s and you know second and third avenue so we go to El Parador, and I remember that I was the only kid they would let sit at the bar hmm. so sometimes it'd be like sitting at the bar while my parents were having greyhounds or something or we'd be sitting in a booth and I'd just be Dipping chips into cheese, and they'd be trying to convince me not to crawl on the floor. Mm. Meanwhile, I want to crawl on the floor because I'm a little kid.
3: Right.
2: Um, and it just felt in in my memory as a child. It never felt like, okay, we have to we we have to like treat this kid like a kid. I think I was well behaved enough, or my parents just wanted to live their life the way they used to enough that I was just part of the adults, right? Um, because I was the first of my parents group of friends to have a kid i was the yeah, sort of the, the main the, i was the main baby yeah. so i was kind of their form of entertainment so it's cool to have me there um so yeah it'd be my, my parents chatting doing whatever they were doing and i'm and i'm probably playing with hot wheels and eating eating cheese
0: nice i love it and what is your favorite uh bochinche like gossip to talk about at a food table
2: Ooh, I, I like to know who's who's hooking up with who, who wants to hook up with who, who should hook up with who. That's the best. I'm, I'm all about it. I love I love to, I, you know, I keep secrets. I'm not like somebody who's not trustworthy in that regard. But, ooh, man, I love to be like, you know what? I, Juan, at rehearsal the other day, I'm telling you, so-and-so and so-and-so, if they're not doing it, they're about to do yeah. it. Because <laughs> you should see because I'm I'm that person who in a room I'm happy to like be a part of the conversation but I also am equally comfortable sitting back and watching everything develop and just being like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay yeah I see what's happening here.
0: And I peeped that during uh, Locked Up Bitches, by the way. I, there was one day, I forgot who was talking, and you were just like sort of sitting and like looking around, and I was like, yo, he's listening, and I'm listening too. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, the, that's the
2: best thing, when you have that friend, right. and you just make eye contact, From you're like, room, like, we know what's going on. Saying, <laughs> I
3: heard that yep. Yeah, definitely.
0: Awesome. So now we're going to move into our Cheers to the Ladies Who, where we shout out people who are doing dope shit and dope shit that has happened. We're back. bronce is Mm -hmm. back um so that's really exciting we've been off air and we'll talk a little bit about some of the reasons why we've been off air for a little bit but we're not gone we're definitely not forgotten because people have been hitting Mm -hmm. me up which is exciting because it means you guys are listening so thank you for listening we're back um and yeah i just wanted to highlight that skittles anything on us being back are you excited to be here so What? Are you excited to be here?
1: Yes, even though it is a Tuesday night and I have, I am tired. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so on our on our little hiatus, um, I was able I was invited to go attend Hispanicized LA, which was very fun. Shout out to Jose Resendez and Rachel D. Matos from, um, Blue Lotus Collective who were involved in getting me out there amazing um and hispanicize is just a really fun conference where they invite a bunch of latinx influencers bloggers um brands podcasters whatever you name it if it's latinx they had it there and it's just a bunch of like conferences where you can kind of network and get to know a bunch of different people um and i got to meet a lot of cool people shout out to daniel from the plot twist podcast who i spent a good amount of time with he's cool we should be doing his podcast soon yes shout out to in bed with um bella um who is a youtuber who also works for blavity um and i talked to her about getting her on here so shout out to her um, and a bunch of different, a bunch of different people: Curly, Gadiel, yes, Julissa, Julissa, Jenny, <laughs> the Chonga girls, um, all of those people. They were all there, um, and it was mad fun. Yeah. And um, I can't wait back to go back to LA because it gets funner and funner every time I go back. So. Because
0: you're you're building community out there. You're yeah. getting a whole family, and it's so awesome to have things like Hispanicize because. It feels so isolating when you're when you feel like you're a niche group and you're a niche creator, mm-hmm. and it's so empowering when you're like in a room, like the fact that there's another Julissa that exists who is a content creator actually excites me because a I don't know many Julissas and b it's mm. like here's another Dominican woman in the space and like i need to know her because we don't want to be the only ones i feel like there's this impression with creators of color that we always want to be like the only one but that's not true we Mm -mm. just think we can can only be the only ones because that's the way Mm. media has structured it but like you don't see white people competing all the time you Mm. know (laughs) like sometimes you do but because there's so many different like types of white people that you can be. You can be a Jerry Seinfeld. You can be a, you know, a Tom Hanks. You can be a, like, there's so many, and it's okay, but it's Mm -hmm. like, there's one Julissa. (laughs) And, like, right now, she's the Julissa, but, like, we need to live in a space where it can be the two mm-hmm. Jews as the five, 10, 15, a million Juans. Like,
3: mm-hmm.
0: anyway, so I'm excited. Shout out to Hispanicize. I'm so yeah, glad. Yeah, that was really fun.
1: Um,
0: you know, and I definitely was having FOMO the whole time I was yeah. out there. But I appreciate everybody who sent their hellos mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I felt very, very loved. Um, so another thing I'm excited about, Netflix um, is has a new show coming out called Siempre Bruja, which is always witch, right? Which is going to, it's an Afro-Latina character who sort of like time travels and has these witch powers that shit is dope. Yeah, that sounds <laughs> dope as hell. I am really, and I've, especially lately, like I've been like really into the whole like connecting with your intuition and learning about like, you know, the religions that are African rooted are rooted in a lot of things that people condemn as like voodoo or santaria and things that are like no-nos but like actually educating yourself as with many things you learn the things that are untrue and so i'm actually interested to see how this show is going to portray the Mm. bruja culture in afro-latinx way the fact that she's Mm -hmm. afro-latinx and stuff is already promising i just hope that they get it right yeah i also
1: think it's interesting timing because they just started that reboot of charmed yes and Mm -hmm. they tried to spin it as like a oh, well, like, we're having a Charmed reboot, but they're all, like, people of color. They're all Mm -hmm. Latina. But, like, only one of them is Mm Afro-Latina, and the other two aren't. So I think it's interesting to see, like if this will be the the real one mm-hmm. and then Charmed will be like the one that people are like, eh, that's whack. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Or what, Or maybe Charmed will be popping. I don't know. Who yeah, knows? Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, maybe they're both popping.
0: Maybe they're both right? popping. Because they could be two. Right. They <laughs> <can> <laughs> be two. <laughs> there can be two shows about witches yes. of color. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll look out for that and see. Cause yeah. Netflix also like, and this isn't a cheers, but Netflix is cutting motherfuckers. Netflix is right? killing <laughs> <movie>. it too. <laughs> this week, uh, Orange is the new black, which was naturally coming to an end. But Orange yeah, yeah. is the new black. Luke Cage got cut this week. Uh, I was yeah. just like, damn, bro, and yeah. more to come. And more to come is is the scary part. And I'm just like, who else are they gonna cut? You know. That's why I watch reruns. I don't have time I, to be emotionally attached uh, to TV shows. I like <laughs> that they're,
1: like, cutting shit because it also means new stuff is going to come. Like. Absolutely.
0: D- but there's just so much shit. Like, mm. I, am, I love the choice, but it's actually overwhelming. And then it makes me anxious because I'm like, I want to watch all 10 shows, but I don't have the time. And so I feel like yeah. I'm missing out in life. And so if, like, three friends are watching one and three friends are watching the other, it's like I'm, like fucking mind fucked left mm. and right with how much content I have. But it's dope. Um, and Netflix, shout, hit me up. Like, I got a show for you, too. Y'all. Oh, Yo. except yeah. Except if anything, Alex is Black will yeah, be absolutely. on next week. Seriously. Alex yeah, we black. got
2: we got some stuff to fill those shoes that you right. guys just opened up.
0: So another awesome thing that's happening because fuck the NFL.
1: Oh, yes. So um, a bunch of artists are starting to turn down performing at the Super Bowl for Colin Kaepernick, like Pink, Cardi B, Rihanna. Um, you guys mentioned Jay-Z before. And Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's cool. Yeah. I'm here for it.
0: Yeah. Whatever. Absolutely. And I wonder, though, like right now, so like it's an honor, right, to perform. It's quote unquote, it's an honor to perform yeah. at the Super Bowl. What if someone says yes that we really like? What are we going to do? Are we going to cancel? I just feel like right now we're in a habit of cancellation and yeah, I'm just interested. That's like, true. if I'm trying to think who's an awesome black person, if Stevie Wonder, for whatever crazy reason, said yes to the Super Bowl, I'm not going to cancel Stevie. I might, you know, say something like, yeah. come on, Stevie. Yeah. But I'm not going to cancel Stevie. I mean,
2: especially because it's like, we just lost Aretha. You know, right. you don't want to. Oh, he, I mean, damn, he's, yeah. o- he's only going to be around for so much longer. And the other thing is, it's like, at. Imag- you know, think about all of the. Uh, African American men and women that are involved in the league that we're right. not sitting there going why aren't why aren't you on strike you know what I mean there's right. we have to like find yeah uh, a balance I do think that this it's a little bit easier for artists in this position whose income isn't dependent upon being part of the NFL to to turn it down absolutely but I at a certain point. I mean, if they wanted me to do it, I might. <laughs> no,
1: I'm <kidding>. yeah, I'm <laughs> but see, kidding. but no, that's I'm a great
0: example because I would be like, ooh, oh. tough one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: because, but it's like, for, for for one, that would be a come up.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, if it's would,
1: for someone coming up, then. We should be for it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. use them to I raise yourself that. up. Yeah. I could and, with that. Uh, all right. If it's for someone coming up, do it, but make sure you make a statement. Oh, take a like take a jab, take a jab. Yeah, yeah, like
0: literally like take a knee during the yeah, 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 yeah. Like, or just like
1: or perform the whole shit on your knees.
2: Oh, what if Stevie Ooh. Wonder did it, Yo. but he played the piano on his knees. knees the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
0: here for I would it. love that. I would mm. love that. I mean that year Beyonce did the almost Black Panther Yeah. costume thing. I was like, yes, but yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not even a huge Beyonce fan. And I was like girl, you better fucking wear that beret on that fucking stage. Like yeah, because it was so dope. unapologetic. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, totally. Um. So <clears throat> another awesome thing, uh, the Chicago police officer, even though this happened a while ago, but I want to mention it because that shit's dope. Um. I mean, it's not dope that we had to lose Laquan, but it's dope that for the first time, especially in this climate, we're seeing a certain level of justice.
2: Yeah, and in Chicago, a city that is historically unjust yeah. and uh, I mean I, th- I think that with um, like the, the Parkland students and all the students that are that are out there for for gun violence you have the Chicago contingent that's coming and saying you you guys don't even know the half of it you you know your school right. is one thing what about everyday life what about your street what about your porch and so to have somebody be held accountable for that action and to at, at least to a small degree show the world like yeah you can't do this
0: yeah Mm.
3: Maybe
2: and, one out of 100, but at least one out of 100 are gonna fi- you know, be punished.
0: I mean, we need something to stand on, honestly, as a community right now. Like, I feel like, like, yeah, like people say, I don't have a leg to stand on. Like, people aren't getting indicted, laws are being changed, gun laws don't seem to be making any sort of progress. Mm. So, what gives? You know, and so, like, it's a little bit of give. Do we deserve a lot more? absolutely but like hopefully and especially like you said for the city of chicago super important it actually even makes me think about uh, when the parkland event happened i i was like very proud of the young people but i was slightly disappointed at the people who were showing an overwhelming amount of support who have also seen aware of other situation in which that same level of support and energy was called for and so i just hope that this shows people that the two things can be true we can support Kids like the kids in Parkland and we also can support this the youth in Chicago yeah they're both equally important and like the Chicago what's been happening in Chicago has always been happening in Chicago and that's not to say Florida is not important but it's like now that yes these Florida kids awesome now that we have your attention here's every other city Chicago there's more fuck the South Bronx like Mm -hmm. where I live like you know, there's still gunshots like there's mm-hmm. still like people are getting and it is the young kids gangbanging and shit like mm-hmm. that. And, you know, it, and it's important. And my my boys matter, you know, I, and the girls in my community and the, the young people in every community. So let's let's see where we're going with this. And Chicago, speaking of Chicago, a sidetrack, Kanye West in the White House.
1: Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <that's
3: not
0: bad. laughs> I just I just I, I wonder when he was talking about it, he did mention Chicago. And I wonder how helpful or hurtful it is when he does, because like in his like scatterbrained rants, sometimes there are gems of information. (laughs) <laughs> if you can hear it through all the bullshit and if you literally have the patience for it because there are people who like can't even like it doesn't matter if he has a valid point I can't even hear him talk and then there are people who are like no you just not woke, and You don't understand what he's saying. He's out here blah, blah, blah. And then there's people like me who are literally in the middle because I love Kanye West and I still love Kanye West The man I think that he needs help. I think that there's a lot going mm. on with him right now I don't think I'm responsible for saving him. He's a grown-ass man with tons of money and fucking resources that I don't even have anywhere near my fingertip. But I do feel in a symbolic way responsible for standing by people with mental health issues, which I 100% – and he knows, and he's been open about – exist. And so I'm interested about mental health in the community. But that aside, do we still want people like Kanye repping Chicago and advocating for them, even if it means that he seems to be buddying up with Trump?
2: Well, I mean, take – take this most recent example he was there because they wanted to talk about violence in chicago it was supposed to be mm-hmm. about that chicago and yet does i didn't even know that he mentioned chicago hmm. once because i first of all i had no interest in watching the whole rant i mm-hmm. saw i saw snippets i watched uh vice news right. uh did it did some clips of it and I, I i remember thinking this might be the thing that keeps me from listening to his next album every everything up to this point i'm like but his music, though, yeah, mm-hmm. like his music, his production, everything for, for forever. We've always said Kanye is kind of an asshole. And certainly as his mental health issues have come to light, it's like, well, OK, there's also that to take into account. Uh, but at this point, it's like you I understand what he's trying to do, but I think I think he's doing so much damage to be out there and to have white folks go well look this black person feels this way and so why are these why why are the black lives matter folk acting the way that they are you know because kanye isn't kanye someone that you all you know you know what i mean i think it's Mm -hmm. just he's opening a door to a conversation whether he means to or not whether he's in control of himself or not he's causing damage that i that i think is different damage than he's ever done before
0: yeah yeah, I can agree, and it's interesting because when Kim went to the White House and she was able to get, um, I can't, pardon me, I can't remember the woman's name, uh, but she got her out of jail, um, a lot of people were like, oh, well maybe it's not such a bad thing that the, the West's family is like sort of mingling with Trump, but I think your point is very, very valid, and I, I agree, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it can be mm. really damaging sometimes. I just want him to come back to us. Like, I want him to be able to say, yes, it is important to love all people and, like, all that. I, I'm so down for that message. I just want him to understand, again, this thing of two things being true at the same time. That's true, but it is also true that, despite all the love you're throwing at certain people, their hate runs so deep that it takes a little more than love to get them to see where you're at, and that's what he's not.
2: Yeah, he's giving he, – he's, like, giving Trump a pass. Yeah. And the other the other thing about, about that – that Kanye White House meeting was uh, what struck me was what he said about women when he was like, I, oh. I, didn't, I couldn't rock with Hillary because Trump made me feel like, you know, whatever. He, I don't like remember my his dad. Words, but like that he my was talking dad.
0: about his dad and, I'm like, and how feeling the hat made him feel like a super. Oh, it's yes.
2: like, Kanye, we all know that your break from reality began when your mother died because of the strength of your relationship with your mother. And you're going to mm-hmm. sit here and throw women under the, under bus. the bus, you know, uh, a specific woman, Hillary, but women in general and say that you're going to rock with this guy, especially in the wake of all the Kavanaugh stuff and everything else. And and he must have an understanding mm-hmm. of how women in general feel about this president and to right. do that on top of what his uh, contribution or or lack thereof to the black community or the community of Chicago as a whole, like mm-hmm. to then go with women. I'm like, Donda West is if there's a heaven, she's up there going, oh.
0: Like, yeah, come on over and over again, over and over again. I truly believe it. On that note, moving to our tuta loca is <laughs> where we call <laughs> motherfuckers out who are doing the most now. Um, so the Trump administration uh, is trying to erase the identity of the trans community. Mm. I don't really have much that I can say that hasn't already been said, but I will say that this is why... As an ally, this is where we have to set the fuck up. Mm, this is yeah. this is my job. This needs to matter to me as much as it matters to me that there's children in cages, that there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, you know police officers that are out free after killing innocent people, um, that Brett Kavanaugh is in the Supreme Court. Like it is, it needs to be that important to me as a this woman if I am a true ally and. I mean, like, I i don't know, <laughs> is really what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't know how to react to it aside from saying, okay, the shit, is, shit just got real. Well, not just got real, but shit's real, and we got to move forward, and we got to do something about it. Um, how did you guys react when you first heard that? I'm not as
1: shocked that he's trying, because I feel like this is something that he's been moving towards. Mm-hmm. Um, but i don't know it's just like at this point i don't want to say like i'm numb to it Mm -hmm. but i'm just like i'm not shocked i understand that it's something that we have to fight and we're obviously going to speak out against but it's just like all right add it onto the onto the
0: list add it to the pile (laughs) onto
2: the pile yeah it feels very much that way i was just listening to uh podcast i listened to yesterday called pod save america and they were talking about how this isn't necessarily a trump thing that that it was kind of a republican thing that was bubbling up that regardless if they had gotten some other republican in as gotcha. president yeah, it that, they, it that it would have gone this way anyway mm-hmm. and that's that's a disappointing thing to hear because we you know it'd be nice to just assign that to trump and to his type of politics but it
1: but there's a group there's just like a whole group of people that think this way yeah mm-hmm. and i
2: think it i think it bears it bears saying that you know. Number one, it's just another reason to continue fighting. On top of everything Julissa just said, but also like, trans people are human, and
0: mm-hmm. they and
2: whatever laws people try to make, there are those of us with open hearts and and clear heads who know that you can't erase trans people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no matter what. I think one thing to
1: put a little light in this, you know, annoyingness of Trump is that I had a conversation with, like, a group of 14, uh, 14 to 15-year-olds about the idea of, like, trans bathrooms and are they important and all that stuff. And, like, uh, it was specifically about when Obama decided that schools had to honor uh, mm-hmm. student's gender identity. And the kids are aware... Of what it is to respect someone's gender identity, and they don't see it as a big deal, you know, and you know they're fo- they're more there are more kids and teenagers out now that are more accepting and more, you know, uh, caring about this subject than there were when we were yes. younger, and Absolutely. that's something good to see yeah. in the youth at least. Yeah, but. Everything else with these people is bullshit.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I, I think that that's a, that's a great point. The future, you know, is in the hands of our kids. So yeah. it's comforting to know that. <laughs> um, voter fraud uh, is happening. So we know that all the, the election day is coming up and um, people have been like trying to get their votes in. And my roommate specifically, actually, she's like she lives with me in the Bronx, but um, is still registered in, Cal- in North Carolina um and to which her response to not registering here is like we know new york i mean hopefully knock on whatever is going to go blue because new york tends to go blue she knows her vote counts heavily in north carolina she did her absentee ballot blah 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 she went through this long process it literally took her a week to get the instructions because on every website that she went to that is like of the state and everything like that had no clear instructions because it seems like they have a very clear understanding that a lot of the people that have left you know what i mean are probably left leaning so they don't want those votes Mm -hmm. to count Mm. so took her a week to figure out how to do it and now her her ballot that she submitted is lost what Oh she God. went through hell and high water and like it was really like she put a lot of thought into the decision She was like, but this is you know, I'm, I'm in the Bronx town This is also a community that needs attention So I want to make sure like even if it's Democrat like are we voting in like the right person is an independent and on this ballot versus the Democrat person who's like running for this position and so but she stuck to North Carolina, right? So now it's like is her she's like so am I just not voting like is is am I just suddenly now not voting? Um, so she's actually considering going down to North Carolina on Election Day just to be mm. like, surprise, bitch. Wow. <laughs> she, sh- she should. You know, and I think that that's important. I mean, in, in Georgia, um, there was a, a bus full of senior citizens, black senior citizens who were being taken to go vote. And they, the bus got stopped and they were told to get off of the bus. So they didn't get to go vote. That's, it was dozens of people. That's, That's dozens crazy. of people. Some of these elections have literally been called so closely that like a couple hundred is the difference. And a couple hundred is actually not that much in certain states and in certain areas. And it's really about mobilizing the people to come out. So if people are literally commissioning buses and the buses that are being commissioned are being stopped. this My roommate doing her research, blah, blah, blah. blah she is now being stopped. I can't imagine the amount of shit that we're going to hear after Election Day of day of shit, people stopping and questioning and blah, blah, blah. People were being intimidated in certain states when they were going to register to vote, just to register,
3: mm.
0: let well, alone did, show up.
2: Did you hear recently, I this may have been something Trump said just yesterday or this morning, I can't remember, but he said <laughs> something along the lines of, basically it was a threat to people who were planning on voting illegally. It was like, well they better watch out because we'll, if we catch them. And I wish I could remember the exact quote, but essentially it was, it was like, it was an – an open-faced threat to people mm-hmm. and ima- imagine being one of those black folks on that bus and you went through all the effort that you went through each each individual and you get thrown off the bus and then you hear that from your president mm-hmm. and and so you know that the system is literally fighting you just so you can exercise your American right these rights that we claim that we care so much about people it's it's crazy have, and have you guys heard about uh, South Dakota the Native Americans there
0: very vaguely, yeah. It
2: basically, it's that if you have a P.O. box, your vote, uh, it, you're, you can't vote. You need an actual address. But, twist, our government doesn't issue Native Americans well, actual addresses because they don't recognize their streets. They get P.O. boxes. Yeah. So they're, what they're saying is, hey, we're not going to give you, we don't give you, based on the way our system works, we don't give you what you need to vote, um, and what we do give you, we're going to now claim that that's not enough to be able to vote.
0: Which is ridiculous. Wow. which is 100% ridiculous. And even and I wish I could remember what they took. There was one specific instruction that my roommate was given that wasn't true. Oh, I like heard that her ID or something had to say North Carolina on it. And she was like, mm, I mean, I guess that disqualifies. And then she did like extensive research and was like, that's completely untrue. And that's like listed as a fact. That's going to turn so many people away. And, if, and think about the fact that it took her a week. Like, I know my ass. I'm lazy as fuck. I'm not taking a week. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Especially if... And not this is not me. Julie has a real case, but like there are people who like you. They're they're voting because people have annoyed them to death. Like they're like, okay, fine. Fuck, it's important. I will go. Imagine being that person and then needing to actually do a week's worth of research to find what you need to find. Right. They're not making that week. They're not gonna vote. You know, they're not gonna vote. Um. So it's just scary. It's scary. It's real. Uh, Hunger Games was on at my parents' house the other day, and I was just like, and I saw um. I can't remember his name, the dude with the white rose garden, and I was just like, "Wow, yep. That reminds me a lot of our president. Yeah. I wonder what he's hiding under that toupee because in the movie he hi- he wears has roses to hide the smell of blood that's always on him. I wonder oh. what he hides under that motherfucking toupee motherfucker. Oh, his Ooh. taxes. His taxes. Show me the receipts. Yeah. Anyway, last thing. Um, so apparently there's plastic in our salt. So we're sprinkling plastic on our food. Um, an article came out this week that was um, talking about how the years of plastic and pollution that we've put into the ocean has broken down eventually, right? So some of it. So there's remnants of of plastic that has been tested and found in salt that is being sort of like collected, right? Um, and it's 92% of the salts brands that they tested uh came back. So it's not like a oh one thing wow. came back and like all of a sudden. Literally, yeah. Um some of them had as low as twenty eight pieces, some of them had as much as thirteen thousand pieces of uh, oh, my God. Yeah, so this is from the Environmental Science and Technology uh, publication. Yeah, and so it's like, it's in our seafood, it's in the wildlife, so then the fish that we're eating or the seafood that we're eating also has that fucking plastic inside of it, and it's not necessarily BPA-free or anything like that, so it's almost like you can't fucking ex- escape the toxins. Like, we're all gonna die of cancer is what I'm, like, convinced <laughs> of. Like,
2: yeah. yeah, I mean, you either <laughs> eat terrible-tasting food or you die of cancer. I mean, it does sort of feel like it's just everywhere. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. It, wow. It's scary. I don't know. I'm eat less salt. <laughs> eat less salt. Start eating pepper. <laughs> <laughs> start using adobo. <laughs> <I don't>. um, <laughs> Skittles, you look like you want to say something.
1: Uh, no, no, no. I'm just thinking like. I literally like, wow. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: like... L- like, wow, is the right word. All right. So now we're going to move into our topic. So our topic of the day. Yes, I'm black. So as we know, and Alex has said, yes, he is biracial. um, But there are plenty of biracial people in the world who have to deal with a lot of shit that uh, those of us who aren't biracial maybe don't even think about or consider. I will say it's interesting when you do live in communities where colorism is real. So like as a Latina, like, you know, all Latinos, if there's lighter skinned ones, they have a different experience than darker skinned uh, mm-hmm. Latinos, and that's always really polarizing and being sort of like shifted back and forth between what feels like two cultures. So as an Afro-Latina, yes, um, and I was raised in New York City, so like I identify very much with African-American culture. I know I'm black right but I was not raised necessarily and not by my parents but like society did not raise me to think I was black. they raised me to say you're Dominican you're Latina but then they also raised me saying and Sofia Vergada and Shakira and and those are the representations of who you are and I sat there like but Janet Jackson but Beyonce but all these other women who feel a lot closer to my experience and so you get ping pong back and forth but the biracial experience is more specific than that
2: yeah you know as I mean First of all, I think especially um, when you're black and white mm-hmm. because of the history of our country, mm-hmm. it's like, so you're on the, you know, you're the two sides. You're a jet and you're a shark yeah. in a way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and for me in particular, that being somebody whose minority status is not readily visible to most people, uh, and even when it is, it's my specific minority status is not is not visible. So this thing that is... Uh, half of me in a genetic sense, but you know, part wholly part of my entire person is not readily apparent to people, mm-hmm. and that has been an interesting experience. Being growing up in the Midwest, certainly, um, there are plenty of people who it's like I've I've developed this habit of feeling like I have to announce to people hmm. what I am within the first. Few uh, conversations I have of them when I make new friends or meet new people, um, especially in school. You know, it, we're talking about s- the Civil War, and I have to say, oh, you know, so my my mom is black, and like I have here are my credentials. Right. Essentially, mm-hmm. like let me let me let you know that I have a card. I'm in the club, right. I, so I'm now I'm allowed to speak on these things from the perspective of a person who had in your mind should have darker skin than me um but then also growing up and just feeling like i i am why do i have to figure out what my labels are like i would imagine i i wonder for you julissa when you say that you're afro-latino do you have to feel like sometimes you you know you know trying to put yourself in a specific box because we live in a world that wants to put people in a specific box and sometimes maybe you're feeling one way, you're feeling another way, but it, but ultimately you don't want to have to define one thing because that leaves something out.
0: Yeah, 100%. I feel that way. And with me it happens a lot where I'm like, I lean, I find like I... I get really Dominican sometimes, but then I just actually get really black and black in the sense of how Latin people identify as African-American because we are black, but because they haven't accepted that we're black, I have to say I'm leaning black as opposed to just being myself. Um, And but then there's moments where like, you know, as much as I'm down and like enjoying the African-American culture, there are moments, especially in school growing up, like where I would then something that was very Dominican would come into play in the conversation because of its relevance and connection. And because we, you know, you know, African-American kid and Dominican girl were not sort of taught how to deal with each other's backgrounds and what that means. What would often happen is the black kids would be like, especially when I was talking about my hair, the girls would be like, oh, shut up. Your hair is not that bad. Oh, your hair is not difficult. Shut up. And there was a lot of shutting me up mm. about trying to bring in my latino part when i was around black people and then when i was with latino people and trying to bring in the blackness they're like that's that american shit mm. Mm. you know and not uh. no we all have that same thing interestingly enough but i wonder for you as an actor what is the experience like being a biracial actor
2: you know it's I feel like I have a very specific idea of what that is, and, and part of my uh, trying to unpack that is always wondering, is this something that I'm putting onto myself, or these are just things I'm imagining, or is this actually the way it is? But for me, the way I experience it is that, for those who don't know, if, you, if, uh, if you're if if you not an actor, you've never seen a casting breakdown, for example, what will happen is, if it's Orange is the New Black, they'll say, we need these characters, and... They, then they have a description. The breakdown is the description of what those characters are. And so often it will say uh, Latina or mixed ethnicity or African-American or it'll say white specifically, right? Or it may say all races, but usually they will give some designation as to what those races are. Then they'll, give, they'll go further and say this character is you know a single mother who's just been locked up, whatever. But it, it'll usually start with the age and ethnicity of what that character is. Yeah. And so for me... On the one hand, because I am not obviously one thing, I'm not obviously uh, anything, I often get uh, put in this eth- ethnically ambiguous category, mm-hmm. which when I first moved to New York, I was like, oh man, I'm gonna work, okay, mm-hmm. I'm ethnically ambiguous, I can <laughs> play this, I can play that, I can do this, you can't put me in a box, but as an actor, I've learned that the industry, they really want to put you in a box. They love yeah.
3: boxes. They,
2: yeah. Yeah. They need and they need them and it makes sense uh, to a certain extent because if you're a casting director and you're a thousand people submit to you and there are uh, 900 of those that are people who fit into a million different boxes but 100 of them fit into the box that you're trying to fill right in this moment well then boom you want to keep your job so you're going to go for those people yeah. it makes sense because just the speed. At which the the business moves, but it also doesn't serve us actors as people. And it certainly is one of the reasons why the business has been as whitewashed as as it has been up to this point. So for me, I I, I always think, OK, well, if if the breakdown is African-American, I am African-American. Mm-hmm. But if it's a character because of where I am in my career, I'm not going in for the recurring roles i'm not going in for the lead roles i'm going in for the one liners the two liners Mm -hmm. uh so are they if if this is a character who's african-american and it specifically has to be african-american often it means it's like a gang member or whatever well if they cast me as that gang member then and that gang member needs to be let's say part of a black gang for what for the purposes of the story do they then have to say oh and by the way america middle america everywhere in the country black people can look like this right or are they just going to get a person with darker skin and so that that part of the story is told without having to say or spend any extra time because especially in in every industry time is money but certainly in the film industry where you have 30 minutes to tell your story or 45 minutes to tell your story uh having to explain to people who may not know that this character actually does fit into the category that, that the character is supposed to, that this actor fits into this category, they're not going to take that time. And so for me, I always think, well, I'm not going to get cast as a, as a black person.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, I'm going to get cast as, as a half black person or a white character or, an eth- or one whose ethnicity doesn't matter. But I'm never going to be, or at least up to this point, I don't see myself getting cast as a as a black character or getting called in to play parts that are specifically for African-Americans because they're African-Americans who look like I do aren't represented out in our world um, and so the world doesn't see me as African-American.
0: Yeah and how does that like make you feel just in the sense of like it happens on both sides too where like I wonder theoretically let's say the same gang situations you do get cast and they don't do explaining cuz they don't feel like they need to and they just do that and they throw you and you might be let's say the lead gang member. Now it becomes a conflict of like yes now we're representing different shades of black, but then there will be that group of people who go why the light skin one got to be the you know yeah that's that's
2: that's one of that's one of my biggest fears is in general as 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 a biracial actor but ultimately as a biracial person uh, as a as a black person is being rejected by other black people by mm. them telling me that I'm not black enough and it's not something I've ever heard yet in my 32 years of life so wow. far not from a black person Good. F- from white people I have hmm. white mm. people have told have have uh, told me I'm not black hmm. but never another black person but it's something that I do wonder because there is that that uh, the light skin versus dark skin on the train here there were these teenage boys and they were. They were in a mood and all and like kind of, you know, teasing each other mm-hmm. and messing around. And I heard one boy go, um, oh, well, well, light skinned dudes is weaker anyway. Mm. And
0: team light skin. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the whole drink <laughs> complex. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. And, and so and I know and I know that part of that is like people who have darker skin trying to reclaim the beauty of having darker skin because we, as a society, it's like, yeah, we love black people, but they need to be like within the, these certain right. shades or at least those are the ones that, that have been exalted, um, more often than not. Yeah. And so what to answer your question, like what would happen? I'd, I i do not know. I would, I'd be sad that that was the case, but also at least it would begin a conversation. Yeah. Um, because it is something it, I mean, it does exist. I, I think, you know, that, that is that is an issue. And yeah. what do how do we feel about that?
0: Yeah. And absolutely it's almost like compromising. Like I oftentimes when I am speaking to my biracial friends, it almost feels like they have to compromise how they feel about something on the on the black issue because then they remember that they're white and then they feel like, well I can't ignore that I'm white. And if I say this and remembering that I'm white, if another white person said this, this would be the reaction. So because I'm also white, my I also get that reaction. So maybe I shouldn't say anything at all. Like Talking to my roommate about politics feels like that sometimes. The speed at
2: which you're speaking right now is the perfect. That's the exact speed. That's what every biracial (laughs) person. That's how we're like. Well, that's that's how it goes. And and maybe the words of that of that internal monologue are different, but but it is very much okay. How do I how do I navigate this so that uh, the the minority group that I'm a part of doesn't think that I'm uh, leaning too heavily on my privilege Mm -hmm. as a white person? Um, But I will I will say that I feel. I've never really felt like I've had to um, take care of my white side very much. Mm. And I think part of that is because it like that's obvious. The fact that I am white is obvious, or at least to me in my in my mind, um, that to the world, it's obvious that I'm white. So what I what I have to nurture and what I what I have to um, take care of, so to speak, is my my blackness Mm -hmm. and put that out there because it's something that if if i wanted to i i pass and pass. if i wanted to pass i can pass and so it it there is this process of me having to be like hey i'm part of i'm part of this this group yeah um but that yeah that internal conversation certainly does hap- happen yeah. and how do you especially when you have people who know you to varying degrees mm-hmm. and so some people know my family some people don't you know i mean those those things also change how how you feel like you're you're willing to or or what's appropriate and what level is appropriate to discuss the conversation yeah. and, and you know ne- because you never know how uh, another person of color might be like. And I'm also a cis man, so on top right. on top of that, so right. it's like, look, I, I get it, you know, you you're black, but I don't want to hear from you. Mm. You don't you don't get stop and frisk. You don't get pulled over while you're driving. Um, at least i don't because i've gotten pulled over while i'm driving because i look too young to drive but (laughs) but not not because of the color of my skin um you know you you have that safety in you're wrapped in it i'm wrapped in this safety Mm -hmm. even though like even though if i were to wake up tomorrow and be and be 10 shades darker i would i'd take it yeah like if i if i could be if i could have black skin oh sign me up
0: yeah
1: so let's because i don't remember you talking about alex is black and i feel like that's very relevant to what we've been yeah, talking yeah, about yeah so um why don't you tell us a little bit about how that project came about why you think the message is so important
2: and sure so um alex is black is it's a web series and right now there are two episodes available on vimeo um, we have a Facebook page, and if you type in Alex is Black and Google, you can you can find it. Um, it's also up on my website, uh, alex-haines.com, and uh, basically it's about it's about being a uh, white presenting black person in the world. And so the the two episodes that exist and the and the episodes that I um, have written slash need to write like yes. I need to go home and finish writing so that we can <laughs> we can shoot them. Um, they're all about situations, some, some of which have happened in my life, uh, but most have not, that um, center around the comedy of that. Because I do think there is this sort of ridiculous, funny, weird, strange thing. For example, the first, the first episode, basically the idea of it came when I was in a store. I was in Westchester. I was in Scarsdale wow. um, doing my old job teaching soccer to little kids. Nice. And I was at a Balducci's. You know, an upscale store, and I was I was like I don't know if I was saying a lyric of a song or if I was just talking to myself, and and I was like, nigga, please. And as I I said it as I rounded the corner and I finished saying it, but I, as soon as I rounded the corner, I almost bumped into a black staff member there, oh. and I was and in my mind I was like, oh, if he had heard me say that, I would have had to like I would have to. Backtrack yeah. like a mother and explain everything and pull up Facebook and pictures. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so the, and so the first episode is basically the, the sort of what if it's of that situation essentially happening where a black woman overhears me say the N word and it's me feeling like I need to explain that. No, it's cool. I'm, you know, I I'm am down. black and <laughs> yeah, I, I have permission to say this. Um, and so the, the impetus to create the show in general was from me as a person who, at the time, my wife and I were trying to have a child, now we are succeeding uh, uh, in that, um, who I've been getting more and more work in theater, but I want to work in film and on television for for numerous reasons from the certainly the financial aspect, but also because that's I consume way more television than, you do than I do theater. And uh, I like the, that you can be one character um, instead of telling the same story over and over again, which has its own benefits. And I get, I get something different out of that, but getting to be the same character growing over the course of a season, over the course yeah. of several episodes, and the exciting challenge of that as an actor, but also the way those stories can bring families together mm-hmm. and where my family and I can watch the same show, even though we're not in the same state, all those things. Right. Uh, and I just realized I needed to put myself on. You know i there there aren't there really aren't roles out there that are specifically about uh people of color who appear white yeah. there you know you have maya rudolph you have megan markle but they're not and you have even rashida jones but they're not actually playing characters who are specifically what those act actors or actresses yeah. are and so i was like i gotta do this before some other person writes it yeah. i have to write yes. write my because there
0: can only be one alex <laughs> black <coughs> that, that, that's right
2: that's right i'm happy for people to come after me but i'm trying to get the netflix deal okay Word. you can you know uh, you can go to stars or whatever but i'm trying to get the netflix deal <laughs> but I, j- I just it and in that and that has been sort of a battle as as an actor to to teach myself and push push myself and figure out how i can get over my own mental insecurities to write and direct and do things that I'm afraid of failing at and things that I might not be good at at first. And I was just like, I don't care if this ends up being bad or it ends up being not perfect. I can't worry about it being perfect. I just have to do it. And so I did it and I had a a childhood friend who lives in LA and he's a producer on the talk. Hmm. Um, And he and I have sort of talked long about uh, trying to do a project together and it's been hard because we're on different coasts. And so I wrote four episodes and I shared them with him. He's like, dude, we should do this. And I was like, okay. And so he, he, what he's great at is what I'm not great at, which is looking at the big list of things that need to get done in a creative project and Mm -hmm. not being scared or put off by it. Hmm. And he's just like, boom, let's attack this, let's do this. And we and we made it happen. And so we, we just wrapped our Indiegogo campaign and we raised about 60% of what we wanted to raise. Nice. And um, so now I'm finishing writing uh, the rest of the episodes. Our plan is to do four more to have a total of six for the first season. And it's just going to be uh, other instances of things, things that I hope all people can relate to, but mm-hmm. that specifically speak to uh, multiracial people, you know, being, being the person of color in the room when the white people in the room don't know your person of color. So they're speaking freely Mm -hmm. and, and Mm. not, and they're not checking themselves, um, which I've certainly had happen to me many times in my life or, um, be, there was a moment, you know, other, other, I don't want to give it give too much away. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, yeah, yeah. don't give it. any spoilers. But, but, yeah, but just lot, lots of things that specific that are told specific experiences that are told specifically from what it's like to experience those moments as as a person of color who uh, doesn't appear to be so. Mm-hmm. But again, one I think ones that can be related to. I, I look at a show like Insecure. Yeah. Uh, I where, was thinking it <laughs> because that show is so specific to being a a black woman in her late twenties, uh-huh. early thirties in L.A. And
1: yeah, and it's so it's universal. It is univ because I I'm always texting her. She don't re- she don't really watch the show, and I'm always like. Yo,
0: <laughs> insecure. <laughs> like, oh, only because so it's, it's too real for me. <laughs> because I had a romantic situation that was very similar, and I watched the first four episodes, and I was like, wow, seeing myself on screen a little too hard. Coming <laughs> <laughs> I mean, back to my fantasy shit. And so, but I am a big supporter of the show. Huge supporter. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, that's. That's very real. I love that.
0: And I think it's interesting. Like, there's so many, there's so many layers to this conversation of like being biracial and the different experiences. Um, And I always, the reason I always think about acting, it's it's even like this week, Kate Blanchett when she made her comment about, you know, she feels like uh, straight people should be allowed to play characters that are part of the LGBTQ AI plus community. And it, you know, like it was sort of like polarizing, where it's like, well, yeah, like actors literally act to be someone who's not not them but there's so many things that are not us that are not tied to race gender you know and other identifiers you know what Mm -hmm. I mean of oppressed groups but it it was just such an interesting toss up and and I, I can't imagine like for me as a Dominican writer every time like literally as we speak right now there's a group of people rehearsing reading my words and the first thing I heard at the first read was wow this is the first time and there was only one other girl who said second time that I've ever played a Dominican person And like that to me is like, bro, like I'm excited to do stretch work, but I'm also excited to just like live my life in front of these large audiences because I care about these stories. I remember when I used to be in school and people used to be like, oh, who wants to volunteer to do skits and stuff? I wasn't trying to be different. I was just really excited to do me and present and share who I was Mm -hmm. to the rest of the class. And I just as an as a biracial actor i, I you know I, I thank you i appreciate you sharing that and i also wonder like what struggles you guys face like even past the audition rooms like once you're in the room like does that come into play like is that where you're hearing conversations that are like oh they forgot i'm black or oh you know well
2: so for example when we were filming the second episode of alex is black we did it at a basketball court that yeah. used to be right across from where jill and i lived on 119th Street. Uh, and Morningside Avenue in Harlem um, shout out to anybody who plays there that's listening to this <laughs> um, and and so it, it so happened that I had scouted out the location and from there but when I did it there wasn't there wasn't anybody there and I was like I know that people usually come after school around three o'clock we show up around 930 and this group of school kids are on their way for recess and I was like oh no so so there's a group of school kids Har- Harlem kids um, thanks to gentrification, they, they, weren't all kids of color, but, uh, mm. their, their teacher who was a person of color was like, uh, you know, we had to go talk to them and say, Hey, we're filming this thing. And so there were just other, there were other people all, all around. Right. And there were a couple of moments where some kids were like, what are you guys, what are you guys filming? And the other, the other people of the crew who the, the crew was, uh, there were, there Okay, so it depends on if you think I always this is something I want to unpack in the show, too, is like whether or not Jewish folks are considered uh, also like white or whether Mm -hmm. they are part of uh, a minority group. I Mm -hmm. tend to think that if you've been in in, if your people have been enslaved somewhere, then maybe you don't have don't have all the um, advantages. But let's just say this, that the only white cis males happened also be Jewish Hmm. Um, and then it was women and people of color so we were we were we were a diverse crew Um, but it wasn't the the like our sound guy was also happened to be half black so nobody looked uh, black necessarily and we certainly weren't like didn't look like a diverse crew and they were like oh we're doing working on Alex is black and you know the kids like oh cool and then an older guy comes along who also happens to be black and he's like what are you guys working on Alex is black and he looks around he's like Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and and so i'm thinking i'm thinking you know and that and that was it and he was like okay cool uh
3: but but it's that's a thousand words okay yeah. all
2: right now <laughs> yeah. you know it, it, it's like all right so did he look around see me and go okay i get it or did he go all right, so we got more. We got more people gentrifying. We got some more Brooklyn kids gentrifying the neighborhood here, mm-hmm. or some network. You know what I mean? Like he could have thought a million things. I didn't have that conversation with him, yeah. but I did sit there and go, "Oh man, it's even happening now." It was such a meta moment. It's like this, hap feeling like I needed to explain myself and justify um, my embracing of who I am mm. in this project that I'm, this passion project that I'm putting money into and working on in that very moment to say oh by the way you know we're we're not a bunch of white people doing this thing we're just calling it alex is black like this is i am alex and and i am black
3: yeah and
2: this is how i'm you know what i mean Yeah. so even then i found myself feeling the need to explain i would say that um in on sets or certainly in in the rehearsal room there have been moments where i've gotten to to read like i've gotten to read black characters Mm -hmm. that's one thing i've done like i've i've and as a lot of actors up and coming actors in the city will know you do a lot of readings and you do you you do a lot of things that when you get the email to do them you're like oh this is going to be dope this is going to be it and then you're like in somebody's apartment and which which is great which is a yeah. way you like you need to do those things but it's also like you may not you're not going to put that on your resume but you're where you're reading something I'm like oh I'm getting to read a black character yeah and this this guy's a black man I get to read it but it's also like well yeah cuz it's a reading and I know that I'm the I'm the blackest actor you know that was available. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you were you were struggling to find, uh, or that's that's my insecurity. It could right. be that they go, "I like Alex. I think he's talented. He's black, and I'm have no qualms having him read this part." But for me, I'm sitting there going, "Oh yeah." So you know the 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 actual black guy that you actor that you know wasn't available or wasn't interested. Uh, some combination of the above,
0: and it can be yeah, it could be both yeah
2: yeah it can be both. and. uh so, th- so those things happen. I, I remember specifically I was reading this part that was written by an, or a much older playwright uh, who at the time was probably in his 70s. And I was reading this character, and it was me, and, um, and then an older white man was reading one other role, and then a, a cis white woman was reading this other role. And we got to the end of it, and I, and I just had some – I was like, I don't know that you are the guy to write – this story that mm. where the lead character is this black character, um, and and I didn't say that that to him, but right. I, but I, I was trying to ask questions in a way that was like, hey, so you know, you might want to think about the fact that there's not a person of color working on this, and these are some lines that I just you know I don't know if if I'm being super sensitive about it or if it's an actual issue. You might want to talk to some more people, maybe get some more eyes on it and look at this because I think these issues with this character could be problematic. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that the, the woman agreed with me, but the director, the guy who was directing it, he didn't, he was kind of pushing back mm. against it. The playwright wasn't necessarily, but the right. director was, was pushing back against it. And I felt, and I felt, it was like that awkward moment where you're like, "Okay, oh, are we, are, are we on opposite sides of, of an idea here? Right. And are we having to have this argument? And then also feeling like, I only have half a leg to stand on, Mm. so to speak, in this argument, and to say it's like, look, I don't have dark skin. I walk through the world; the world sees me mostly as a white man. But I can tell you that as an African American, like this bothers me. And so, if it bothers me, it probably might bother other people. And and he was just very dismissive, and I could tell the woman was getting very uncomfortable. And we'd never (laughs) met before. It was like we, with the exception of the playwright, we all had only just met that night. Wow. And it was. It was a very strange thing, but I, I wondered like, well, if my if if I looked quote unquote looked more of who I am, would would that guy think to push back against me, hmm. or to to speak about um, blackness as if he you know to try to black explain me, mm-hmm, in, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, but in general in New York. And I think probably because we're in New York, and because I get to work with artists like you, who are also artists of color, because we have this pantheon of people uh, of diversity, um, it doesn't come up a whole lot. But that, like that example, is probably the the most egregious one.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and I and I I would say like, and like when we worked on like the bitches, the we and me and Juan got looped in because Katya had a moment of like, and shout out to Katya. Um, we had a moment, she had a moment of like, bro, I have these Latin cats and like, she's never, I think at that point either never had someone who was actually Latinx playing the role or s- people who were like almost or biracial and, um, but like not actually being raised within a Latin context. So like they were like biologically, but like had no real connection to their Latin side. And she quickly was like this is just not gonna work and i'm a white woman writing a hip-hop musical (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean and so even like that project was so interesting because they're you know the passion behind making sure that the cast was as diverse as motherfucking possible, and all the versions of the show, I feel like they get closer and closer and closer to like you know just making it maybe one of the most diverse things that happens on the stage. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It, it, you know, in New York mm-hmm. City on a given night, and I I think that that's important, and I feel like people are so afraid to be wrong sometimes about it, and if we can't be wrong about it, how are we gonna be right? So like if it doesn't if if someone like Katya can't say I totally like botched that first uh you know. Casting and not because the person wasn't talented in any way, that person's awesome, talented, 100%, but like the authenticity of the story. And it's like, doesn't everyone though want their story to be as authentic as possible? And so, despite the, the sort of like dancing the line that happens for biracial people when creatively or even when they speak and just move through the world, it's like, well, maybe there's a chance to be wrong, you know what I mean? And like, maybe in a way, the way like within our own community, we like push back and are so hard takes away the validity of what is your black experience you are a black man and quite frankly when i saw you i didn't think you were white at all like you know what i mean mm. i thought like i said i thought you were puerto rican and i thought you were puerto rican cuz the little hair and i was like oh you know the light skins cuz the boricua boys are always Dang. the light skin boys you know yeah. what i mean and the dominican boys tend to be the tan but here i'm sitting next to a boricua boy with some color like you know what i mean but like it <laughs> I didn't it's almost like I you we know each other like our communities can identify each other. Yes. I knew you weren't white. Yeah, yeah. Or you are white, but you, I didn't I knew that you weren't
1: You weren't like, all, like yeah. 100% uh, yeah,
0: white. yeah. You were Anglo-Saxon. Like I was like yeah, no, he's something and I just thought Latino cuz Latino, you know, the term mulatto and even like um and Dominicans would call you Habao, right? Is the term for uh black people who like, you know, are a little blonde, have lighter eyes, have lighter skin. But you're a habao because like that is literally it's almost like um like a lightning of the true root. Like you are black, you're just like black. Which and it's so interesting that we and like biracial is a word, but it's so interesting that like it's even like that had to be made up in a sort of like, you know, people needed to create this terminology because people couldn't do that again. Boxes, right? Um, yeah, I just.
2: It first of all, it I think it speaks to like the deep rootedness of of wanting to be accepted as a as a black person. That when you called me a black man, I, I felt a little bit of water coming <laughs> into my eye. And, and not that I was about to cry, and I do cry pretty easily yeah. at stuff. Um, <laughs> but I was just cry. I was just like,
3: oh man, <laughs> yeah, you know,
2: but. And I will speak to like you guys seeing me as as other and in a good in a good way as in not white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that I I can also I feel like I can base how diverse you who you the individual when um, grew up how diverse your life was when you look at me and whether or not you go hey are you or talk to me like a white person and or just assume and only maybe a handful in my entire life have there been people of color who were surprised by me saying that I was mixed, hmm. who weren't like, Oh, I thought, well, I thought you were something. I didn't know you were black, you know, or, or at least that, yeah. but only a few people are like, Oh really? I'm like, yeah. Oh, you must not be looking at <laughs> me at all. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's like, it's not, it's there. Like yeah. I know that, I know that it's, I know that it's there, you know, that we, we as people of color can look at each other and you, yeah, you, it, you can feel i mean don't touch my hair unless i give you permission right, right, right. but it's like we we can see it in each other just despite the shade of our of our skin because yeah. we we grew up around because our families we we you know they look like that yeah. um but it is something where i'm like oh, okay you must have grown up in a very white place yeah. if you don't see if you can't tell at all
0: yeah i mean you and my dad are the same complexion and look at my dark ass and my mom is actually mm. skittles maybe a little lighter than skittles and her father was black as fuck, <laughs> like, like <laughs> black as fuck. And so my brother's darker than me. And like then all this mix happened. So like I look like, at my own family. I used to, my sister used to get away with convincing me that I was adopted because I'm like you're right, I am darker than mommy and papi. There's no <laughs> way I'm mommy and papi's <laughs> child. Venezia, yep. Up. You know what I mean. There's like, hope for my
2: kid. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs> there literally is hope for your child. Uh, and so thank you for sharing all of that. It was really really insightful. And I think it's a conversation that doesn't happen enough. Um, so please, please keep writing. Alex is black. I will continue watching. Everybody, y'all need to watch. Hire this yes. motherfucker. He is so talented. Hire him. Get to know him. Engage his art. Fucking wonderful, wonderful man. Thank and you. And go see Puffs. And go see Puffs. We didn't. Do you really, really quickly want to plug Puffs and talk about Puffs?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Puffs is a. Uh, it's a parody on the world of a certain magic wizard that we all know. Uh, and it takes, uh, it focuses on the underdog. It's an underdog story. And my favorite thing about this show, which is a show that I loved before I even became a part of it, uh, as an actor is that it's funny, but it has heart. Like Mm -hmm. there are, there are jokes throughout the entire show, but the last few moments of the show, like people cry, people tear up and it's, it's legit. Like it has a message, but it's super fun. And if you don't know the world of a certain magic wizard, um, you can still have fun. But if you do at all, if you like Harry P at all, <laughs> uh, I have to be very careful. I know, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. and I'm and I'm known as the one in the cast who always slips slips up and like oh, will no. say something copywritten, and they're like, Alex, you gotta protect the business. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm sorry. My bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, my bad guys. My bad. Um, but it's it's super fun it plays at new world stages right now we're at eight shows a week so uh tuesdays are a dark day other than that you can find us at 8 p.m every night except for sunday night where we're 7 30 and then a 2 p.m matinee on saturdays and a 3 p.m matinee on sundays and we're we're about you know, the, the the puffs
0: yeah the underdogs yeah and i i am a huge fan of this random mystical world a huge fan have not seen puffs. Mm. I need to come out and see. Yes. Them. Yeah, you got I need to. to make sure that I come out I'm very protective of my nerdisms, and I've only heard amazing things So I'm so happy and now and now that you're in it. I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah, we Gotta make our way um, And so I just want to wrap up with loose not my loose So in our diamond section you give me and Juan a little bit of light on a certain topic so I wanted to hear about your dad jitters, really. And you talked a little bit about it in the beginning in terms of, like, raising your child in general. But, like, what about the whole going through pregnancy? Like, how, is Jill freaking out on you? Are we in cravings mode yet? Like, where are you? How are you feeling?
2: Okay, so she, right now, is... Uh, she's in her second trimester, and she is 15 weeks or almost 15 weeks. Uh, so so not quite... Um, Whatever the next month is, she's between she's between months, uh, so yeah, she's not quite four months, um, but she's one of those weeks. Anyway, uh, so the
3: first <laughs> clearly um, this is daddy we're like,
1: talking. We're, <laughs> and we're like no help. We're like because I'm trying to think of myself. How many weeks is in a month? I know. I <laughs> <talking about that.
0: laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm saying here like, damn, I am I have no idea what the pregnancy process <laughs> is really like. So, so one of the things,
2: one of the things they do with the pregnancy process is they always equate the, the size of your child to a fruit. Mm-hmm. So like it starts off small. There was a time where we had a little raspberry baby Aww. and uh, then a lemon and a lime. And right now it's a, uh, navel orange. And then we'll move on yeah. to, I think, uh, Uh, an avocado was uh, on the horizon.
0: Uh, Do we ever get a melon?
2: uh, I think we do. We're not, we're not there. So we have this little uh, chalkboard in our kitchen. And so Jill has drawn, she, uh, she can fit four fruits at a time. So it's like this week, this fruit, this week, this fruit. So there's not a melon on there yet, but, We'll get there. Okay. Nice. Um, and so the first trimester traditionally is where all the nausea comes in, morning sickness. Although they say morning sickness, but it happens pretty much throughout the day. And for Jill, it happened basically around mealtimes throughout the day. And we, we were on vacation in New Orleans, and we were visiting. Um, oh, that
1: sucks. food is <laughs>
2: yeah, right. yeah, we, so good. Yeah. So we set up this vacation because my – the, my, the black side of my family, my mom's side, both her dad and mother are from Louisiana. Mm. And so we have this family farm there that's on uh, my maternal grandmother's family, which actually their last name is Haynes, just like mine from the white side. So we all, mm. my, my, my mom would always joke that my dad was her cousin. Yeah. Because, um, <laughs> you know, they owned us way back in the day. I, was that, gonna, um, I didn't want to make the joke, but <laughs> I was like, somebody owned somebody. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... Uh, so, so we were like, uh, we've never been in New Orleans. Let's go to New Orleans. It was, it's, it was our sixth anniversary trip. We'll go to New Orleans, and then we can also take this two-and-a-half-hour drive and go see my family property that I've never seen. And I learned so much about it that my mom and, and her siblings, they would go there every summer until they were 18, and my grandmother wow. was the oldest of 12. So it was like wow. yeah. everybody would come back in the summer, and they were in Louisiana, and it was like um, – I also learned that if you've seen the movie Mudbound mm-hmm. on Netflix – so the woman who wrote that her grandmother who she based the story off of is my grandfather's cousin so wow. if, so so Deerys, if you're listening if she's listening if we can connect us because she, she wrote she wrote that screenplay based off of her grandmother's diaries and all this information she has that connect back to her relatives that were slaves who obviously through some you know are some fourth or fifth cousin of mine that were slaves and so to have that information would be great not just you know n- not even from a like professional actor standpoint but just from yeah. like this person is like my family and has info yeah but um so the the crux of that story is that you have a world war a black man from world war ii and a, and a white man from world war ii but they come back and then something happens and like the the kkk wants to mess with them and so he's got to get out of town yeah. and essentially my my grandfather and my quote unquote. Uncle John Jay, who I think I think was like a cousin or whatever. They were in town. They had just come back from World War II. My grandfather drove trucks for General Patton mm. um, to deliver supplies for D-Day. Uh, they were the like the red rollers or the red something. The uh, You can look it up. Um, and John Jay whistled at a white woman. And so mm. and she told on him and the white folks were, uh, were like, you guys, better, we're coming for you. Mm. And so they, my grandfather, uh, left Louisiana and went up to Kansas where his brother was, and then two years later had to come back from my grandmother, um, who he had met in high school. And so that, which is very similar to the story of Mudbound, um, but anyway, so we were, we yeah, yeah, so we were we were there. Sorry for that. No, no, that's history.
0: I'm here Uh, like, damn, I want to see that shit. Yeah, it
2: was yeah, it was crazy to learn. It was and it's crazy. I've learned so many things about my that family since my mother has passed because of course you lose a family member especially a mom and you're like oh shit I have all these questions I need to ask Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway uh, so we were like we got to go on this trip and then we found out we were pregnant like two weeks before that Mm -hmm. and so okay so we're going to New Orleans where you want to eat and you want to drink and that's about all you want to do and you not only can't you do either because she not only is she a vegetarian but then she's got all these things that she can't eat Mm. Um, like you can't eat no goat cheese like no unpasteurized cheese no raw eggs so no, no even like you know runny yolks no uh, only one cup of coffee all these all these limitations no oysters um, yeah exa- exactly exactly right are N- amazing. none of that stuff <laughs> and then on top of that that she was at the height of her nausea and fatigue and everything so just now God, in this yeah. point week you know 15 roughly uh, she's coming out of that and she's like oh I'm ready to make food again I'm excited to eat again. So that's what's happening right now, oh,
3: thank God. which
2: is, which is great. And I was saying this to Jalisa earlier, but I feel so much as the man, like I'm what are, what good are men? Like, you know, <laughs> I helped create you're just it. But chilling. like your, her body, her body is doing all this. She's creating our child. It's going to like, it's going to come out and that's going to be our baby and our kid and our family. And it, and she's the one making it. And all I can do is be there to support and, Take out the trash a little bit more because it makes her nauseous to, to take it out, and it just it just sort of feels like wow I wanna like I wanna contribute and I wanna help in this moment in time, mm. but all I can really do is just be there and support because um, I don't have a uterus and I can't grow this baby and and it's her who has to go through all this and be reminded every day and have to make sure to sleep on her side and not on her back because they could both die instantly if she's yeah there's this weird thing where if when you're pregnant after after a certain week not at the beginning so like if you if you're worried you might be pregnant and then like and you sleep on your back don't worry you're not gonna you know what I mean and you don't know yet um you're okay but after a certain point in your first trimester you can't sleep on your back because it's like there's this freak thing that happens every so often like one in a thousand cases Mm -hmm. where um it's like a, either a blood vessel or a ner- something is pressed and it's like your, your heart stops and the baby's heart stops or something along those lines where it's like instant death. So you have to sleep on your what side. The fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's like this, Cause like the baby is pressing on your spine in a weird way or, or your, or, or one of your major blood vessels. Um, so, so yeah, I'm just here doing whatever, but also knowing that our, that our lives are going to change. And I'm sitting here like, what can I do? I I'd love to, you know, I bought a lottery ticket, you know, maybe we'll become billionaires tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, (laughs) yeah, you know, it's just like, uh, I feel so, I I feel like I, I'm I'm just in awe of her and feeling like I want to make sure I'm, I'm giving her her due and space and, and respecting, um, what she's going through mm. while also figuring out ways to pull my fucking weight yeah. and and be ready as ready as we can be knowing that we'll never be ready and that we're gonna we're gonna learn as we go
0: what are you most excited about for when the baby comes
2: oh man i'm excited to I'm ex- i mean i'm excited to, to teach my child things and mm-hmm. to and to show them the world i uh because of puffs i was able to quit my long time job for eight and a half years or one more of teaching soccer to little kids and so I work with predominantly two to five year olds but some slightly younger and some older and I do a couple of side gigs with with teenagers and stuff uh, but I have a lot of experience with kids who are two to five and having them ask me questions and being able to be like oh I taught them that and I taught them how to do a pullback on a soccer ball and I, when I taught them I remember when I first started I used to I used to have stud earrings I have two piercings on, on both lobes mm-hmm. and they were like only girls can have earrings, and I was like, "No, actually, boys can have earrings too." And mm-hmm. then, and then I was told to take them out because that child went home and told their parents that Coach Alex said boys can have <gasps> earrings, and their no parent didn't like it. Way. Yes, way. And so they're like, "Alex, yeah, you should take your earrings out." And that's when I kind of stopped wearing them because I was like, "Oh, I can't. I don't want to forget these at work." Because you know how it is—you wear right. studs, you just leave them in all the time. Um, and so thing, you know, that I mean, there's an example of the Midwest being conservative, yeah. you know, conservative in a surprising way for you. But getting getting to teach my child and say you know this is our family and this is what we do and, and having family traditions and things that will stick in my child's memory so that when they're uh, doing a podcast mm-hmm. years down the line can be mm-hmm. like oh yeah well when my my mom my mom and dad had me they were living they were living uh, on Amsterdam Avenue and they uh, my dad would get his haircut at the at the Puerto Rican barbershop right right downstairs and he would let me sit in his lap and this and that and Mm. we were friends with all the neighbors and stuff and I'm very cognizant of the fact that I'm the Jill and I excuse me we're sort of walking in the footsteps of my parents Mm. and I'm gonna be almost a year older than my dad was when they had me which feels very strange to be like oh wow like that's how young you were Mm. like yeah you know because you look up to your parents are like and for a certain amount of time you're like parents they know everything and then you get to the age that your parents were when they had you, and you're like, oh, shit, y'all didn't know shit. Mm-hmm. So I'm just excited. I'm excited for that to create to create those memories and, and to have our family grow because we already are a family, um, but to, like, teach part of the new generation and have this new exciting thing.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I can't wait until the baby comes and see all the <laughs> pictures and all that stuff. Love baby pictures. So definitely post all, oh, yeah. all the baby we'll, and we'll skittles. Yeah. Like all, oh, the, ba- yeah. all I, the baby I pictures. I love, baby pictures. love it so much. Alex, where can we find you?
2: You can find me at uptown underscore Haynes, H-A-Y-N-E-S on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, Alex dash Uh And you can find me at new world stages, eight shows a week doing puffs
0: absolutely and you can follow us at ladies who bronche on instagram and facebook at ladies bronche on twitter um follow like subscribe share the shit out of this episode and until next time bronche